to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Are we ready for the word this morning? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of gathering as the saints in church on Sunday. Lord, we thank you for the Sabbath. Lord, we thank you that we get to rest and watch you fight our battles for us. And Lord, we thank you that we can, we can hold fast to that promise in Second Chronicles where the Lord fights our battles for us. It says that you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Lord, we thank you that every Sunday, God, we get to partake of this promise that as we rest in you, as we come into your presence, as we honor you together as a community, that, Lord, you will fight our battles for us, that we can have courage, that we can take heart, and that we can face tomorrow. So, Lord, we thank you for this privilege. We pray that your anointing, your presence will be here. Anoint me, grace me, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, this morning, you know, I, I, I really want to preach a message that, uh, that is somewhat of a, of a life message. It's something that the Lord has uh, really dealt in my heart, and, and I feel almost that there's a commission in my life to, to bring forth this message for the number of times that the Lord has brought this thing up in my life. I want to start uh, today's message with a quote. It's one of my favorite quotes in the world. Can we have the slide up? It says, Our task is not to protest the world into a certain moral conformity, but to attract the world to the saving beauty of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say it again. Our task is not to protest the world into a certain moral conformity, but to attract the world to the saving beauty of Jesus Christ. And see, this this quote dramatically changed my life, dramatically changed the way I view Christianity. Oftentimes, you know, in my preaching of the gospel, it looked like, hey, this you're doing wrong, this you're doing wrong, this you're doing wrong, that you're doing wrong. Have Jesus. And, and that, that's often how we communicate Christianity, how we communicate our faith. We are, we are known more for the things that we are against instead of who we are for and who we have in us. Right? But, but you know, it, it makes me wonder that maybe the gospel is more than the things that we're against. Maybe the gospel really is just good news. Really is that attractive that we don't have to prepackage the gospel. We don't have to give a, a, you know, a surrounding a, a statements around the gospel, but the gospel is just the gospel, and the gospel is attractive in and of itself. And so it makes me wonder, you know, this, this quote, to attract the world to the saving beauty of Jesus Christ. What is that saving beauty? What makes Christianity beautiful? What makes it attractive? What makes it beautiful? And so I, 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 I you know, it, it was a, a quote that I chanced upon several years ago. And, and I, I just began to pray to, to God. I was like, tell me what's the saving beauty of Jesus Christ. Tell me what's the saving beauty of Jesus Christ. Search the scriptures, looked up books, talked to people. You know, I didn't really get an answer that really uh, uh, satisfied that question. And so one day I was having this conversation with the Lord and said, saving beauty of Jesus Christ. Look at the testimony of your salvation. So many of you don't really know how I got saved, but I got saved in probably the most classic Pentecostal slash evangelical way. 
One of my friends came up to me and said, Andre, do you know where you're going to go if you get hit by a car? If you get hit by a car tomorrow and you die, do you know where you're going to go? And to be honest, I, I didn't know the answer to the question at, at, at the time. You know, I was 16. I was like, oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know where. And uh, a few days afterwards, you know, I was at Braswasa going for tuition. And uh, Braswasa complex has that like four-lane kind of a road, like pretty wide. And so I saw my friend opposite at the, at the McDonald's. I was like, oh, friend. I was like, hey, friend, friend. And then he didn't see me. So I was like, oh, yeah, you know. And so the, the traffic light to cross was like all the way there. I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to jaywalk. So all the, all the cars uh, came to a halt. So I was like, I was just jaywalk. So I jaywalk, jaywalk, past the first lane, past the second lane, past the third lane. And the fourth lane, right, I didn't really see if there were any cars, so I just dashed across and got hit by a car. And it was, I remember it was like a Mercedes two-door sport car kind of a thing. <laughs> and so the lady got me, put me in a car, and true enough, my friends finally saw me. They, they were opposite the road and they were, like, they were like, oh my gosh, there's a guy that just got hit by a car. And they were Christians, so they were like, let's go pray for him. And so the story goes, like, they were standing there, they saw me on the floor, they were like, Andre, what are you doing here? <laughs> Near say I didn't explain. Uh, I was like, oh, you know, I saw you. So they, they brought, me, brought me in the car and they, they rushed me to the hospital. And uh, I just wanna, I, I'm just going to summarize everything. You know, they brought me in for a bunch of scans. Uh, I found myself in the doctor's office, me and the driver. He was asking the driver, driver, how fast were you driving? She said 70 kilometers per hour around there. Wow. And, so, and so I actually got hit and I flew across two of the lanes. So, so the doctor was like, okay. Uh, you know, usually when people get hit at that speed, you know, they, they can die on impact. And or, or they get, can get seriously injured. And so he said to me, I don't know why, and he used the word miracle. It's a miracle, but there are no broken bones. I, I didn't even have a single bruise, not even a single cut. Wow. And so then, then I knew, okay, something is going on. <laughs> on my way to the hospital, because of that question of like, do you know where you're going to end up if you die? <laughs> I was like, I don't know, but I'm going to make sure I end up somewhere. So I, I prayed to like, every god that I knew of. Of course, I was like, okay, you know what? One of these guys must be real, and I need to make sure I end up somewhere, so I'm going to cover my bases. So I was like, so I prayed to everyone. And I first heard the gospel actually at the, at the age of 10. At the age of 10, I heard the gospel, and the way I could describe it when I, I first heard the gospel was I had that feeling, I had, had an interesting feeling in, in my heart. Didn't really have the words for it. I, I knew at 10 years old you know, that this feeling was not normal, and I was crying. And so, you know, uh, fast, fast forward to when I was 16 and I was in the hospital. So the doctor gave me a news, found myself in the waiting room with my crying mother. Like, oh my gosh, you nearly died. And so we were sitting there. And what I could describe it was, you know, I felt that same feeling and that same feeling and presence in my heart that I felt when I was 10 years old. In the hospital room, I decided to give my life to Jesus. I decided that, you know, I wanted to go into full-time ministry. And... The, the, and I, you know, sometimes we, we say we hear the Lord, but we don't really hear an audible voice. It's, it's like a sense. It's like something that you hear internally. And the words I heard internally weren't like, Andre, I just saved your sorry butt. Now get into my kingdom. Or Andre, you are a messed up child. Get into my kingdom. 
None of that. It was, Andre, I love you. Come. Come home. And, and I prayed a sinner's prayer, and, and in an instance, I felt that, that washing sense of God's forgiveness. He wiped away every sin, every wretchedness. And you know, to me, I think that that's what makes Christianity beautiful. Yeah. Forgiveness is what makes Christianity beautiful. Right. No, in an instance, just, just think about it, in an instance, every sin is wiped away when you call on His name. Yeah. It's almost unconditional. Mm. You don't have to jump through different hoops. You don't have to perform a list, list of do's and don'ts. But when you call on His name, He washes every sin away. I think that's what makes it beautiful. And forgiveness really is the essence of what makes the gospel the gospel. It lies at the heart of the Christian faith. From the adulterous woman who deserved to be stoned and found forgiveness to the the Lord's prayer, the, the prayer that He taught the disciples how to pray, forgive them to Jesus on the cross as He was being nailed, as He was being punished for something that He did not do, cried out forgiveness for those who were nailing Him on the cross. It lies at the heart of our faith. Christianity is all about forgiveness. And you know, there can be many things said about Christians, but it must be said that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. Not just between God and man, but between man and man. That's what makes us Christian. That's what, what makes Christianity beautiful. That, that's what makes us a peculiar people. Because we believe in forgiveness. Amen? I'll read you a story, you know. Uh, uh, this is a really famous story from uh, you know, a time in uh, 1915, the Ar- Armenian genocide. Half a million Armenians were being murdered by the, the Turks. And there was a, this famous story of a Turkish army officer who led a raid upon the home of an Armenian family, killed the parents and raped the daughters. And the oldest daughter was actually gifted to the officer and he kept her. For his own. And one day she, she managed to escape and then uh, went, went back to school actually, got trained as a nurse. And through an ironic turn of events, she ended up working in a hospital in a ward that uh, treated Turkish officers. And one night she was uh, doing her rounds and she saw, you know, by, uh, right in the corner, she saw that same man that killed her parents, raped her sisters, and captured her. She saw the same man. And the doctor said to her, if he does not get exceptional care, he was in coma, if he does not get exceptional care, he's going to die. And that was what she gave him. She gave him exceptional care. She, she cared for him. She nursed him back to health. And when he came around, the doctor said to him, hey, you are alive because of this nurse. And so he asked to see the nurse, and the nurse came to his bedside. And he looked at her and said, have we met? And she said, yes. And after a long pause, the officer looked at her and said, why didn't you kill me? Why didn't you kill me? She had every opportunity to do so. And she looked at him and said, because I'm a follower of he who said, love your enemies. I'm a follower of he who said, love your enemies. And an author goes on to write a statement about this story and says that for her, for this lady, for this woman, forgiveness was not an option. It was a requirement. Because she followed him who said, forgive. Because she followed him who said, love your enemies. It's not an option. It's a requirement. Amen? Amen. 
See, the, the chief goal of the believer is to become like Jesus, right? That's why we're on this series, The Radical Jesus. That's why we, we come to church to learn how to be like Jesus, to learn how to live that abundant life, to learn how to be Christ-like. Amen? And, you know, if I were a disciple of, let's say, Bruce Lee, right, you would say that I want to, uh, I'm a disciple of Bruce Lee because I want to be some proponent of, Bruce Lee would do what? uh? Wing Chun. See, so if I were to be a disciple of Bruce Lee, you can say that Andre has a desire to be a master of Wing Chun, right? But how many can, can really articulate what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Why are we disciples of Jesus? What's that thing that we are trying to learn as followers? Have we ever thought about that? Yes? If I was a disciple of Muhammad Ali, you know, it's, it's boxing. If, but what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean? You know, and I, I really think that the thing that we, we all should come to learn to Jesus, or at least this is the one thing that, that I come to Jesus to pursue, is to learn how to do life well. I think Jesus is, Jesus is the master of living well. Not just that, but living rightly and living truly. And Jesus is a master of living human life as God intended. But we have to understand that at the center of Jesus' teaching on life, on how to live life, is that reoccurring theme of love and forgiveness. Love and forgiveness. I think that is, that's the two things that, that we should embody and that we should grow in as disciples of Jesus. Amen? And, you know, I would say that all of us, or at least most of us, entered the Christian faith to find forgiveness. Yes? To find forgiveness, to find freedom from our sin. We all enter in to find forgiveness. And, you know, and to me, the assumption is, if I enter in the Christian faith to find forgiveness, to continue walking in the Christian faith, I have to embrace the centrality of forgiveness as the Christian life. I have to embrace forgiveness, not just as a, a one-time event, but as a lifestyle I get to live. Right. Because I have freely received forgiveness, now I get to freely give. That's right, yeah. We all entered to find forgiveness. Now, to live that life of a believer, we extend forgiveness to those around us. Yeah. It's the centrality of the Christian faith. It's forgiveness. Amen? Yeah. Amen. I, to be an authentic follower of Jesus, we must embrace the centrality of forgiveness in the Christian faith. The Christian faith is the ministry of forgiveness, or as Paul puts it, the ministry of reconciliation. It, it, it was so radical. The, the idea that, that, that Jesus presented was a forgiveness that, that you know, was, was so radical. He confronted that belief that in order to love God, you must hate people. That you can prove how much you love God by how much you hate Jesus turned that completely around and he said that you love God, your love of God will be proven by your love for people. He challenged that. And, and I think you know, that, is, that is a radical belief. That is something that Jesus came to represent and represent on the earth in his life. Amen? Yeah. Jesus taught a, a, a new, radical, and utterly unprecedented concept of the kingdom. Jesus was, t- was teaching a kind of love that no one had to dare, had dared to t- imagine. No one had dared to teach. And it was a love for enemy. It was a love of enemies. Amen? Yeah. You know, I, I, I was just thinking, I was just reading the, the book of Mark and I was just looking at the Gospels. And, you know, oftentimes you read the, 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 the Bible and uh, 
you tend to skirt past you know, certain scriptures and certain stories, you know, because it, it becomes so familiar. But I was really captured by uh, a, a statement made, you know, a statement, uh, a, a verse in, in the Gospel of Mark. And Mark's Gospel tells us of a Roman officer that was at the crucifixion. That as no, throughout the whole, uh, at the end of the whole crucifixion process, he stood there and said, truly this must be the Son of God. Truly this must be the Son of God. And it brings to mind the question, though, like, I, I, I believe you know, that this guy, this Roman officer, this Roman centurion that, that was at the, at, at the foot of the cross has seen many, many, many crucifixions up to that point. He has seen so many crucifixions. He has seen so many died that way. But why, you know, would he come to that? that, that how? Why and how did he come to that, that conclusion that truly this man is the Son of God? How? You know, what did the soldiers see that led to this amazing confession? What was it about the way Jesus died that had such a profound effect on this Roman? Might it be that Jesus died loving and forgiving his enemies? Might it be? You know, the Roman centurion standing guard at the cross had, had witnessed many crucifixions. He knew how crucified, crucified men died. They did not die with a prayer of love and forgiveness on their lips. Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. The battle-hardened Roman soldier standing at the foot of a Roman cross recognized this kind of love as from another world. His only explanation was that this Nazarene, being crucified for claiming that he was the king of Jews, must indeed be divine, must indeed be God. It was the transcending power of a forgiving love, that radical act of forgiveness that revealed the radical love of God. And that's my sermon title for today. Forgiveness, a call to radical love. Forgiveness, a call to radical love. And I want, I want to present to you another quote. It says that we forget that when we see Jesus dead upon a cross, we discover a God who would rather die than kill his enemies. We, we often forget that when we see Christ dead upon the cross, we discover a God who would rather die than kill his enemies. Can I put it to you that his enemies is not just the people that were present at the cross. He was not just the people that nailed him physically to the cross. We were all his enemies at one point. You know, there's this famous story, uh, Mel Gibson, the guy who um, produced and directed The Passion of Christ. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm getting the story right, but he actually asked to play the part of the man who nailed the actor on the cross. Because to him, he said that, you know, I, because he came to the revelation that it was not just that man, that Roman man that nailed Jesus on the cross, but humanity. Yeah. Our sin, yeah. our unrighteousness, our trespasses against God collectively nailed Jesus to the cross. And this applies to you and me, that when we see Jesus Christ dead upon the cross, we discover God will rather die than kill you and me. Jesus knew that more violence and more revenge will lead to more enemies. Jesus on the cross proposed the idea that we do not eliminate enemies by revenge, but we eliminate enemies by unconditional love and forgiveness. That's how we get rid of enemies. Not by more protests, not by more picketing, not by more violence. We get rid of enemies by breaking the cycle of revenge through unconditional love and forgiveness. And the cycle of revenge looks, looks just like this. 
this is the typical cycle that most people go through. You know, first you get hurt, you get, you get wounded in some way, some form of matter. You know, you can, someone might have said something nasty to you, did something really bad to you. You get hurt. In life, it's inevitable that you get hurt. Amen? When you love people, you get hurt because you allow uh, your heart to be open. You allow your heart to be exposed to the individual. Therefore, you are susceptible to hurt. And from hurt, you know, most people get offended. They get offended. They, they bear it. They, they keep it. They hold it. They hold it against a person. And the Bible talks about, you know, if we do not let our offense uh, uh, be resolved, it will turn to unforgiveness. And, or I, I believe you know, another accurate word for that would be bitterness. You get unforgiven. You, you get bitter. And then that will always lead to an action. You know, you, you, it might be something really subtle like, like, you know, if John were to say something nasty to me and, and I process it and then I go, but you also like that. That's revenge. That's a retaliation. Yeah. Or it can be something as terrible as taking a knife and stabbing someone, apparently. You know? And that's a typical cycle we go through, like hurt, offense, unforgiveness, revenge. And then whoever is a recipient of a revenge, they get hurt, they get offended, they get unforgiven, and then they take revenge. And then you get hurt, and then you get hurt, you get offended, you, get, you take on unforgiveness, and you give revenge. It's, it's a never-ending cycle. It's a never-ending cycle. And what Jesus did on the cross was He broke that cycle. He released forgiveness. And he said, no more revenge. No more. I'm going to forgive them. No more. And that's how we change the world. That's, that's what Jesus proposed as the way to transform the world. People, people expected Jesus to establish justice on the earth through killing, through ruling, and through really laying down the hammer. But Jesus came as the Lamb of God, not as the hammer of God. He came low, meek, served, gave His life up, forgave sins. That's why we're here. That's why we're Christians. Amen? Jesus Christ broke that cycle on the cross. And it makes me think, you know, when Jesus said, that, pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. I don't think Jesus meant a physical cross. Come on. But I think Jesus meant the way of the cross. What, what were the guiding principles? What were the things that Jesus came to reveal on that cross? Yeah. Through the cross, the whole journey of, of carrying that cross. What is the way of the cross? It was not a literal cross. What is the governing principle and revelation of the cross? It's forgiveness. Forgiveness is the way of transformation. Love wins. And I'm wondering if the sufferings associated with the cross are not physical sufferings, not you whipping yourself, but the suffering the pain of forgiving even when someone doesn't deserve it. Amen. An emotional pain. Right. What if that, that, mean, that equates to picking up your cross and following Him? Yeah. That you forgive even when it hurts. That's right. Come on, somebody. Yeah. The kind of forgiveness that Jesus demonstrated is one that forgives even when people don't deserve it the kind of forgiveness that Jesus demonstrated is one that forgives even when people don't deserve it. That is the kind of forgiveness that we call to live. Not, we, we don't just forgive when someone says sorry. We forgive because we're Christians. We forgive because we have been forgiven much. Even when someone doesn't ask for it, even when someone doesn't deserve it, 
you choose to forgive. Amen? See, unforgiveness is the chief culprit of sabotaging friendships, families, churches, and destinies. And we're going to look at a couple of passages of Scripture to make this sermon legal. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. We have the Bibles. Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. It says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry, in some translation, whoever bears offense with his brother without cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. And let's look at another passage of Scripture, 1 John Chapter 3, verse 15. 1 John, chapter 3, verse 15. Apparently everyone's there before me. Okay, let's look at that. Everyone who hates his brother, same thing, everyone who bears an offense with his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Two really, really sobering passages of Scripture. You know, and, and you know, as I was looking at Scripture, and I begin to think, like, what did the people understood as, you know, from, from, this, from this passage of Scripture? Like, why was it so uh, uh, cutting? Why was it so confronting? And, you know, we have to understand that, that these things were written in a context, in the context of the Roman rule. And let me read to you what the Roman punishment for murderers is. This is, this is what happens when you kill a person. The dead body was literally chained to the murderer, face to face, hand to hand, toe to toe. The condemned man was was sentenced to go through the remainder of his life chained to a decaying corpse. Imagine how it would be like with this body in front of you while you ate and attempted to talk to your wife and children. Imagine the horror as each day the stench becomes increasingly worse and alienates you from all sense of community. As the corpse becomes stiff, sitting down and regular movements become virtually impossible. The murderer will not be able to avoid the stench. It will be his constant companion. Many times the, the condemned man will lose his mind if he not die first from the effect, infection that comes from the decomposition. That is the picture of unforgiveness. That is the picture of unforgiveness, what it looks like. Now, the next slide, unforgiveness, it, it hinders intimacy. Imagine you, you have an actual body chained to you, face to face, hand to hand, toe to toe. You can never be intimate anymore. It hinders your intimacy, not just with men, but with God. Unforgiveness separates you from all sense of intimacy, guys. This is so crucial, this is so important. It obstructs your view. Everything you see, you see through a lens of offense. You see through a lens of offense. Your view is completely obstructed. Your perspective is completely wrong because you're viewing it through a lens of offense. It hinders your judgment. Unforgiveness weighs you down. A dead body has... I I don't know what what the the term is, but you know, a dead body is is heavier. It feels heavier than than carrying a live body. And and it weighs you down. You can't move. It hinders you from from getting to where you need to go, from getting to your God-given destiny. It hinders you. It weighs you down. It, 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 it's the number one culprit for sabotaging destinies. That's why many people, they are not uh, being all that God has called them to be because they have this dead body weighing them down. Yeah. Yeah. 
and they've grown so comfortable with it. They've grown accustomed to it. Say, so it's my right to, be un- uh, to bear unforgiveness. It's my right. Because this person did that to me, I'm going to bear this. And they think that, that if I were to carry this body, this person will be punished. But not knowing that this thing is the one that's killing them. Unforgiveness, Joyce Meyer said, is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die from it. Doesn't make sense. We laugh. But most of us at some point has borne unforgiveness and offense. It's like poison that ultimately kills you. That dead body being, being chained to you. That decomposition of flesh. Toxins seeps into your skin and ultimately gives you a slow painful death. That's the picture of unforgiveness. That's why we need to get free from this today. Amen? Amen? Yeah. And you know, in, in my uh, conversations with people, most people, they cannot uh, afford or they, they cannot grasp the, 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 the call and the mandate to forgive another person because they have some really bad beliefs pertaining to forgiveness. And today, you know, I want to present five empowering beliefs that will lead you to a lifestyle of forgiveness. Five empowering beliefs. And we're going to go through them quick. Why are these empowering? Because today, I'm going to dismantle some lies. I'm going to release some truth. Amen? Forgiveness is not a sign of endorsement. It's a choice to love. Forgiveness is not a sign of endorsement. It's a choice to love. Many times, we we cannot bring ourselves to forgive because we're like, oh, if I forgive a person, then it means I'm agreeing the person, then the person will keep on doing the same thing. No, that's not the case. When Jesus forgave the adulterous woman, He didn't say, hey woman, carry on adulterating and while I forgive you. No. It was forgiveness, it was that love that actually led her to transformation. Many times we, we withhold the very thing that actually leads people to their breakthrough. So good, yeah. We withhold the answer. Thinking that, that by doing so, they will change. No. Sometimes the answer, the solution, the key lies with you. It's not a sign of endorsement. It's a choice to love. To love them in their weakness and to love them unto transformation. Amen? Yeah. Next slide. Forgiveness is not the end of pain. It's the beginning of healing. It's not the end of pain. It's the beginning of healing. Many times, you know, uh, we, we forgive, but the, the pain of, of that offense, the pain of that scar still resides. And we're like, mm, because I'm feeling this, maybe I've not forgiven at all. Or maybe I've not forgiven enough. No. Forgiveness is a choice. That's right. It's a choice to jump on that road to healing. Amen? Yeah. Doesn't mean that, that you know, you, you go to the hospital with like a big gash, get some stitches, and you, you're going home and you're like, oh, it's still painful. Maybe I've not seek any treatment at all. No, you already have. You're just getting healed. Amen? Forgiveness is not an end to pain. It's the road to healing. It doesn't mean that if you still feel pain that you're bearing unforgiveness. Amen? You know, pain cries out to be comforted and medicated. Sometimes we need to work through our pain and not ignore our pain. Amen? Many times we take spiritual painkillers and we suppress that pain and be like, pain, you're not there. But how many know that just because you're numb to it doesn't mean the pain doesn't exist? Amen? We have to work through our pain. Therefore, that's why Jesus said that blessed are those who who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who who understand that I'm in pain and I need to process my pain. They will be comforted. Some of you, you're still reeling from the effects of pain because you refuse to admit that you have pain in your life. 
you have to mourn yeah. to be comforted. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Next slide. Forgiveness is not a one-time event. It's a continual process. Forgiveness is not a one-time event. It's a continual process. I remember one of the, the funniest slash best slash most impacting altar calls we had as young people. We were called to the front by the speaker and the speaker said, I want to deal with unforgiveness today. And he said, no, some of you, like, like David has had spears thrown at you by Saul and some of you have these spears all over you. I want you to go to the front and I want you to, like, as a spiritual act, pull out the spears and as you do that, I want you to yell the name of the people that offended you. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. And so like many years after that, like this guy came up to me and was like, bro, just so you know, I yelled your name that day. <laughs> and, and I had friends that, that were standing with, beside people who were yelling their name. And so they're like, they're like, huh. Then this person yelled the name of the guy beside him and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm offended by that. So they put out an extra spear. <laughs> it, it's true, you know. And so many times though, when we, we preach these messages, we like, come to the altar the altar, and we're going to pray for you, and then it's all going to go away. No. No. It's not a one-time event. It's a continual process. You have to keep making the decision to forgive, to forgive, to forgive, to forgive. Forgiveness looks like you take the stones of acquisition, throw them to the ground, and say, I'm not going to pick them up anymore. But here's the thing. You know, whenever the, the memory of the offense, whenever the pain of the offense gets brought up, the stone is just right there. You have reason, you have precedent to go and pick up the stones again. But no, you choose to forgive again and again and again. See, some of you, you know, your, 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 your unforgiveness is not going to be solved through an inner healing process. It's through a simple conversation. Some of you need to send text messages tonight. Yeah. Call up a person and say, hey, I'm bearing this thing against you. And I just want to let you know, I forgive you. Amen? Yeah. It's not a one-time event. It's a continual process. Next slide. Forgiveness is not forgetting. It's a conscious act of letting go. Forgiveness is not forgetting. You know, we often heard the phrase, forgive and forget. To forgive is forget. You know, we associate the two things together. Forgiving is not the same as forgetting. Forgetting happens over time. It's passive. You're like, hmm, one day. you don't will yourself to forget something, right? I don't will myself to forget to eat breakfast every morning. I'm hungry, I eat breakfast. You know, you, you, you don't do that. Forgiveness, forgetting is passive, right? You have no part to play in that. Time does that. But forgiveness is different. Forgiveness is an act, it's a conscious act of the will. Amen? It's active, not passive. You know, when, when we pray the prayer and we, we ask for repentance, we ask God forgives us. God forgives us. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm reading from the wrong one. Forgiveness actually doesn't cause us to forget. It allows us to remember. You know, and I'm just thinking, you know, the, the cross. You know, we sang about the cross this, this, uh, this morning. You know, sang about, oh, the wonderful cross and oh, that rugged cross where my salvation... Know, where I found my salvation, all oh, the beauty of the cross. I'm just thinking that, you know, that cross is so gruesome, it's so dark, it, it was the darkest hour of human history. An innocent man being nailed on a cross. Innocent. 
darkest hour of human history, say that, that, they, that you know, we see the passion of Christ and we're like, oh, that's the image. No, that's not the image. The image of Jesus on the cross was, was far more gruesome. He was unrecognizable by the time they were done. That gruesome image. And today we call it beautiful. We call it wonderful. We even wear it around our necks. We wear that cross around our necks. It's, it's the same thing as wearing a, a, a noose around our neck. It's the same thing as wearing an electric chair around our neck. The cross was a means of execution. What made that cross something to remember? What made that cross beautiful? Forgiveness. It allows us to remember. It allows us to remember. Amen? It can turn... Forgiveness has that amazing tr- power to turn something gruesome, dark, uh, or, or something really horrible in your past into something beautiful for the future. It's redemptive. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. I, want, I want to share with you a story this morning. It, 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 it's, it's a, a, it happened in a, in a town called Nickel Mines in Pennsylvania. And in, uh, a guy named Charles Roberts was a 32-year-old dairy truck driver in uh, Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. He and his wife, Amy, had three young children. Uh, of course, Charles and Amy, you know, they, they lived really good lives. And uh, Charles had a good life with you know, his loving wife. But nine years after their firstborn child, a daughter, um, was born, she died. She died. And that, the death of his daughter consumed him and turned him into a, a ticking time bomb. And... Roberts, you know, at the time, he was a Christian. But because of that pain of, of, that, that, uh, that, that of losing his daughter, he turned into a really angry person. And he was angry with God. And one day, you know, Roberts made a decision and said, I'm angry with God, and I need to punish God. How do I punish God? I'm going to kill some Christian girls, because he took away my girl. And so he went into uh, a schoolhouse, and this was an Amish community. He went to a schoolhouse, he got rid of the teachers, he got rid of the boys, and all that was uh, in, in the room were, were the girls. And he rounded the girls up, ten of them, and he executed all of them, and then he pointed a gun at himself, and he shot himself. Evil, you know, had inv- invaded, you know, the community. It was a tragedy. But hours within the killings, a group of men from the Amish community showed up at his house where his wife, where his grieving widow was. And they came to her and said, we forgive you. They brought gifts of food to her. They brought, they brought uh, gifts to her children. And they said, we forgive you. They, they, they stood with her. Within hours, you know, uh, another group of, of people were at Charles Roberts, the, the, the murderer's uh, uh, father's house, to offer comfort. And they stood there an hour with the father at the doorstep, holding him as he was crying and begging forgiveness, and he said, I forgive you. And you know, the, the, and, you know at the funeral of, of this murderer, of this, this horrible man who killed 10 ghosts in cold blood, 75 mourners were there, and half of them were from the Amish community. And the news report, you know, when, when the, the shootings were first broadcasted, the, the headline was, the Nickel Mines tragedy. And within a day, from, from the stories of all these radical acts of forgiveness, it turned into the Nickel Mines miracle. Forgiveness can turn a 
a tragedy into a miracle. Amen? And that's the kind of forgiveness that you and I are called to walk in. Radical. Next slide. Forgiveness does not keep any record of wrong. It restores the standard. Forgiveness keeps no record of wrong. It restores the standard. When I ask God to forgive me and I repent, that word repent you know, has, has several meanings, but I think the, 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 uh, the description for, you know, in, in the context of, of this sermon and, and the verse I'm going to use, it's that word repent literally means re-meaning go back and pent like penthouse, go back to the top. When I repent, I get restored to my rightful place. I don't get to live from my lowest moment, from my moment of mistake. But when I forgive, God takes me out of that pit that I, that I went into and restores me to my rightful place, my rightful standard. And, and we are called to do the same thing with people who, who trespass, with people who offend us. When we forgive, we restore them to that rightful place that we no longer interact with them based on their mistakes. We no longer interact with them based on what they did to us but we restore them to a standard. Amen? Like, you know, when, when I always have an... When I always... When I have an argument with Amy, I make sure she says, I forgive you. So it's, it's, it's our deal. Like, we don't... You know, most people, they fight, and they're like, oh yeah, it's, it's okay. It's okay. No, I'll make sure, like, Amy, do you forgive me? She said, give me two hours. And afterwards, she says, I forgive you. And then, then I, 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 it, it restores me to the standard. But also, I, I got her because she cannot, she cannot pick up that, that stones again. She cannot uh, accuse me of these things again because she has forgiven me. See, this is, what, this is what forgiveness does. Forgiveness gets rid of that big book of transgressions that you have held against another person. Like, like hey, you, flip to Annex A and pull out the reference. You did this to me at this time and date. Forgiveness gets rid of that. You have no right to access that anymore. Yeah. So words like you always or last time or you are, like, it, it, th- these words, you know, they, they shouldn't exist in our vocabulary, right? Or last time uh, you are, uh, you always are, uh, you know, it, it shouldn't exist. When you forgive, you have lost right to access these things again. Anything you're doing will be resurrecting a dead body. Amen? Yeah. Why? Because it's, it means the matter is resolved and restored to the standard. Right? It's different from trust though. Trust is, is something you have to earn. But forgiveness restores a person to a, pers- to a place of love and accepts them back into community. That's forgiveness. Yeah. Amen? So I, can I have the band on stage you know, as, I, as I close? Are you guys alive? You know, this morning I'm not going to do an altar call and get people up to the front. You know, the, the Bible says that, you know, when you are offended and when you bear an offense to your brother, go get it resolved before you come to the altar and present something to God. Right? Go get it solved. And, and here we see the priorities of God laid out for you and me. It says that, hey, I desire for you to go get it worked out with one another before you come to me. God prioritizes that we be reconciled to one another, that we get rid of this body of unforgiveness. Amen? Yeah. That's right. 
And, and seriously, my, my hope is that today we will leave and have crucial conversations with people. Or, or maybe, you know, you, you've been harboring on to something, or maybe you, you have experienced the pain of an offense. I know it's painful. You know, I might not know specifically what you're going through, but I know this, that if you hold on to that, that body of death is ultimately going to kill you. Amen? It's, it's not, not just going to kill you, it's going to kill your relationships. If you keep record of wrong, it will kill your relationships. You will always be living in that pit of the offense, of, your, of the person's offense or your offense. There will be no, no progress in a relationship. Amen? And as we close, you know, uh, can we all stand? And I want to I wanna read something, you know. And then we're going to worship. When, when Peter asked Jesus, you know, we all love Peter. Peter asked Jesus this question. Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive this guy, this fella? And, and uh, Peter, uh, Peter said, should I forgive him seven times? And Jesus said, no, I, you should forgive him 70 times seven times. I don't think Jesus was teaching Peter math at that point. But scholars believe that Jesus was making direct reference to this verse in Daniel chapter 9. He was making direct reference, and I'm going to read it to you. It says, 70 sevens are decreed for you, for your people and your holy city, to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for wickedness, to, to finish transgression, to finish that, that, that cycle of revenge, to put an end to sin, to put an end to, to harboring offense, to put an end to anger, and to atone for wickedness. Jesus was casting a vision for forgiveness. In that, in that passage, Jesus is casting what forgiveness looks like. Finish the transgression. Finish the transgression. Put an end to sin. Atone for wickedness. Why? The next slide. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To confirm vision and prophecy. And to anoint the holiest place. To bring in everlasting righteousness. That word righteousness there is actually the word justice to bring in everlasting justice. Some of you need vindication. Your job is not to be the vindicator. Your job is to give that right to execute judgment to God and He will bring in everlasting justice, eternal justice. Because the justice that you and me establish is temporal, but the justice that comes from God is everlasting. And to confirm vision and prophecy, to confirm your destiny, to, to send you on a pathway to, to, gaining, to, to getting all that God has called you to and to anoint you to be a holy place. What happens when we forgive? When we forgive, God pours out justice, revelation, and anointing, prophetic confirmation. When we forgive, God, in an instant, turns the pain of our offense into blessing. When we forgive, it's a divine exchange. When we choose to let go of our right to revenge, judgment, God turns it into blessing. Amen? Justice, prophecy, and anointing. 